Hello and welcome to the Q York podcast. It's great to have you with us today and we hope that as you listen, you'll be inspired as we continue on our shared quest together. This podcast is entirely free and yet it's not cheap to put together and wouldn't be possible without the generosity of our supporters. So if you consider yourself a supporter of Q, then please head to qyork.co.uk and hit donate to show your support today because there really is no Q without you. Thank you and enjoy today's message. Wow, what a wonderful way to start. What do you see tonight? And um, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about a quest for the sacred. And uh, we've learned that sacred doesn't just mean that which is set apart uh, for God, but it also means that which is precious. And I think we've had a, a wonderful um, understanding of that this last few weeks. So there was a, a phrase that we used that was this, we will neither love or save that which we do not experience as sacred. So it matters, this journey that we're on. So we went on to discover last week that oneness, um, as opposed to the idea of separateness, is a concept not just associated with New Age beliefs, but came from Jesus himself when he prayed that we would be one as he and the Father were one. And I asked the question last week, does Jesus get what he wants? Now that's a good question, isn't it? And I think I could say, yes, he does. But anyway, so we asked the question, is oneness a battle to be won or a consciousness to be found? Are we ready to acknowledge that the fact that we're not only a drop in the ocean, but the ocean in a drop? That's quite massive, isn't it? And it, it's a, a powerful thought. Like the Lion King, do we see God in our reflection? Does he truly live in us? Can we see what we are truly from the same source? But we might express ourselves differently, but we're actually two, but we are in fact one. Do you see my point? So anyway, so this week we continue our quest to look at what we mean when we talk about enlightenment. Yes, this word, it's been hijacked and it's been misunderstood. Um, like the word sacred and oneness, um, it's been uh, attributed to Eastern religions um, and it's not been our word, but in fact it should be our word. Our you know, amazing it is that the word enlightened, it should be the word that we have uh, as followers of Christ. So we're going to look at that a little bit tonight. So we're going to reclaim it. Because when you think about the word enlightened, what's in the middle? But the word light. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And not, not only am I the light of the world, but I am the light which enlightens all people. Well, you've got it there straight away. You've got enlightenment. Jesus is the light that enlightens all people. So what does it mean to be enlightened? Well, we, I would put it this way, and we've just seen that wonderful clip of Patch Adams. It's the capacity to see things differently. Easy as that. Everybody else was saying for 
when he put up the four fingers, but suddenly when he looked beyond, he saw something different. And that's what this is all about tonight. So do you see who you really are? We are actually sharers in the divine nature. We share the same DNA of God. We are in inherently, our identity is God. We, de- we participate in, in it. It's not something that we have to strive to become. We already are it. And it's really quite incredible. But we lose the sight of that. We, we, we somehow forget who we are. And then, of course, we create obstacles uh, that we have to then jump over to get back to expressing that. So, we are like Jesus said so. So isn't it time to wake up to the reality of our true identity? This is enlightenment, or to put in Christianese, salvation. Thank you, my girl on the front row. Salvation. We are saved from our own darkness. Now, it's interesting that science used to be the Christian's enemy But now through quantum physics, we are encouraged to understand that there's no such thing as darkness. Now, for some of you, that'll be really tough to accept. But even in the blackness of night and the darkest place you can be, there are little pockets of light that still shines. Now, we struggle with that, but it's amazing. So, what do you see tonight? Do you see four or do you see eight? Some of you feel in terrible darkness, but the good news is that the light still shines. And maybe if you would accept that all the stuff we are or are afraid of, when it's exposed to the light, the darkness is not necessarily obliterated, but it actually absorbs the light and becomes the light, which is really quite amazing. Maybe if we understood this, We wouldn't embark on trying so hard to eliminate the darkness. We would just sit and let the light soak in. So what do you see? Four or eight. A dark, scary scary world or a Christ-soaked earth. Amazing. In this next clip, please don't be freaked out. But it's a lesson to be learned. That's if it works. I don't know. Is it going to work? Yeah. (laughs) Don't be freaked out. But it's a lesson to be learned in that those things which we fear and struggle with, there is still light. Awesome. That beautifully illustrates that uh, our relationship with the light could be critical for our health. Uh, Good to see you all tonight. Welcome. And to those who join us online on YouTube and all the, the other stuff, it's, uh, it's great to be able to just share our hearts with you uh, again. Also to uh, welcome a couple of friends of ours from Utah who've uh, we've become close to in our trips there. Uh, Paul and Debbie Widmark, please uh, take time to say hi to them. I think in the quest for the, the sacred which we tried to detach from the religious view of it's like, you know, this perfect, non-wrongdoing, um, highfalutin holiness 
thing, or on the other hand, it's only something that you would find with the uninterrupted essence of a presence of a God who is somewhere doing something. So, so we, we defined it as preciousness. I think it's more helpful if we think about our quest for the sacred as a quest for the preciousness, the preciousness of God, the divine, the creator of you, of all things, of people. Then um, there must be a moment or, or, or moments of enlightenment when the soul and the world become bathed in light. And invariably those moments become transformational, you know, and, and there are numerous stories both inside and outside the church community of, of this happening, of this, this endeavour. And um, um, the truth is that, that in Scripture throughout the Bible it's a perpetual occurrence right from the very beginning. What was the first thing that happened? In the beginning God said, let there be light. It was... It was, a, it was a, a, a move immediately to say that enlightenment is the key to all things. And um, incidentally, just, just by the by, if, if you are at all a student of the Bible uh, and have read Genesis 1 and the, and the creation story that is in there, you'll see that sun, moon and stars are not made until what is allocated as day four of the narrative of creation, which which means that whatever this light was and whatever this light is has got nothing to do with sun, moon and stars. It's got nothing to do with light bulbs, you know, in electric sockets. It's to do with something else. It's an enlightenment that touches the soul and the world that, that is more than just the, what we might see as, as, as the obvious. And, um, you know, I, I wrote this, light is a present reality. And enlightenment is a lived, ex a lived experience. Light is how you see. Enlightenment is what you see. So the issue is not just how you see. The issue is what you see. Just like Patch Adams. Just like the moth's understanding of how it should relate to the light proved to be... Uh, somewhat defective in the context of its well-being. So this, this whole context is, is extremely important. Light is, is how you see, but, but enlightenment is what you see. So even in, in the creation story we've talked about, then there are other stories. One I, I wanted to talk about last week, but it wasn't my shot to be there. A guy called Jacob's in the middle of the desert, and he thinks, he believes in a dream. He sees heaven open, and he sees angels ascending and descending, which means whatever's going on is already in the earth, because you know, this spiritual thing was going from the earth up and down. And my point is this, that um, Jacob in that point, he thought he'd found the house of God. So he called it Bethel, which means house of God, because he thought somehow in that spot at that time, because he had a moment of enlightenment, that that, that must be where God lives. Well, the truth is that's not where God lives, because where God lives is wherever Jacob lived. And the enlightenment that touched his soul made him believe in that moment that this was the very house of God. This is where God lives. When enlightenment hits you, you will swear that where you are in this very moment is where God lives. And that's the wonder of it. And there's other stuff, of course, you know, uh, Isaiah prophesied about the coming of Jesus, that those in darkness have seen a great light. And, and you know, even the greatest contributor to the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, his journey started when he was called Saul and he saw a great light and fell off his horse and uh, 
Didn't break anything, thankfully. But it was a moment of enlightenment and transformation. But we also need to understand this, you see, that enlightenment doesn't come by staring at the light. Here's my, here's my perceived problem of how I perceived what I was being asked to do in the journey of spirituality that in our context was evangelical Pentecostal. I was being asked to stare at the light, the light being Jesus, the light being God, and it was kind of somehow, it was never said in these words, but it was you've got to stare at the light, stare, that's all it. Now, how many of you have ever stared at the sun or stared at a bright light? And then when you look at the world around you, what happens? Suddenly you, you have, you know that blob that you get in the middle? And the worst thing is, if you do that and you're with somebody, you can't see their face. So they become a faceless being in the context of life because you stared at the light. Let me tell you something. What religion does, it turns people into faceless beings... Because it teaches us to stare at the light and then we don't see people as people. We don't see lives as lives. We don't see hearts as hearts because we stared at the light. You see, the issue is enlightenment doesn't come by staring at the light. Light is not something you stare at, but that by which you see all things. So I don't get up on the morning and think, oh, the sun is critical to the life of the world. I'm going to sit in the garden and stare at the sun because actually it would blind me to life. But when I let the light be the light and acknowledge that the light is the light and that the light shines everywhere, that which I see all things is enabled by a right relationship to the light. So we're not here today to say, oh, come in and stare at God. No, I think, I think God the Creator is, is very important, as you will get this as a church. Jesus is important. The Christ is important. But we were never called to stare at the light. We were called to allow the light to allow us to shine so that it becomes that by which we see all things. And then when you see things in the light... It absolutely changes everything. So don't stare at the light source tonight. That's not our objective. But if you'll understand there is a light that lights everyone and everything and you allow that to illuminate, then maybe tonight you may have that moment that is transformational. Okay, so there was a little story that I came across this week that was about St. Catherine of Genoa. And uh, she was a, a woman born in 1447, way beyond, you know, our uh, day and time, uh, to an Italian family. But she wanted, this woman wanted to become a nun uh, like her sister. But at 13 years old, 13, unbelievable, isn't it? She was rejected uh, somehow because they didn't think that uh, she was ready for it. But at 16, she was married off uh, in order to end the feud of two families to a man who wasn't very faithful, who had a violent temper and spent all their money and her life became a real misery. Now, you might think, why am I telling you this? Have we got the thing up there? My deepest me is God. This woman, who was very devoutly a God follower, would go into church and she would pray and listen to this prayer. It's absolutely horrendous. She prayed, God, make me be so sick 
that I cannot be a good wife because her life was so miserable. Now, what would you make of that? How horrendous. But what happened is incredible. As she was praying this prayer, it says that she was so overwhelmed by the love of God that she could not uh, just contain herself. And it says that she ran down the street. I'd like to think she was naked, but she wasn't. But, you know, it fits the picture, doesn't it? You know, you know, she ran down the street and she was shouting, my deepest me is God. My deepest me is God. And what is so amazing, that when she had this revelation, it was more than just recognising herself as in her was the deepest me was God. But to know oneself is to know about everything else. It meant that when she looked at everybody else, their deepest me was also God. The sister that she envied, because her sister managed to get into the monastery and be the nun she wanted to be. The husband that she struggled with so terribly. And everything that she struggled with became suddenly understandable because she said, as I look at others, the deepest part of them too is, is God. And she devoted herself to a life of service to those that were sick. Now you might think, well, a strange story. I've only brought this to you because I feel that at times that you and I, beneath all that we fear and before we dress ourselves for the day with another mask of who we want to be for the day and we do violence to ourselves in how we, we, we think we need to be for the day, when we convince ourselves that we are not enough, that's the problem. But when, the, when we realise that our deepest me is God, then we actually rise to the challenge because something of God lives deep within us and it lives in the world. It's what everybody else knows. It's what the mountain knows. It's what creation knows. And so the guys are going to come and sing because uh, there's a song that's from the Rapunzel film. Um, At last I see the light when I found you. Now you might say, who's the you? Now, some of you need an external God. It's fine, no worries, to reach to and say, when I found you, I saw the light. But some of us need to realise that the deepest me is God. And when you see the deepest me is God, you look at everybody around you and you see their deepest me is God too. All right, I'll come back to that in a minute. <laughs> Big thanks to Connie and Joel and uh, also Danny for the, the, the skills they bring to the house, really. One thing I do get, you know, listening to, to um, Connie and Joel singing is this truth that true enlightenment is, is transformational. So then how you see... All things transforms how you see everything. And uh, there are ways to come to that. You know, some, some of us came to a genuine experience of that by standing, raising a hand, coming to the front of a church in response to the, this desire to, to be enlightened by God and by the grace of the gospel and by the goodness of Jesus. But, 
whenever we come to it, the, the enlightenment that that brings is transformational, that how we see that anything becomes how we see everything when we have that moment of transformation. Jesus said something that I just want to re- read to you from uh, Pete, how Peterson wrote it in the message. He says this, Your eye is a lamp lighting up your whole body. If you live wide-eyed in wonder and belief, your body fills up with light. I love this, listen. If you live squinty-eyed, your body is a dank cellar. So which is it? Have you got a squinty-eyed view of life? If you have a squinty-eyed view of life, then you cannot be enlightened even though the light is there to enlighten you because you're too squinty-eyed. So you're living in a dank cellar instead of your whole body being filled up with light. Keep your eyes open, your lamp burning, so you don't get musty and murky. Keep your life as well lighted as your best lighted room. In the absence of light, nothing is visible. I like one of the things as we've been talking about the Christ. You know, nothing is made up of two words. No thing. In the absence of light, no thing is visible. You actually cannot see what you need to see, even though what you need to see is right in front of you, because in the absence of light, no thing is visible. That's the darkness that Jesus is quoted as talking about in, in these verses. Light is not there, incidentally, to expose darkness. That, that's a religious terminology of light and I know I've been guilty of that for many years in my traditions almost like that light is there to expose darkness in other words light is there always to show you how bad you are how separated you are how lost you are how wicked you are how undeserving you are but but thank God for Jesus in spite of all that I don't believe when the true light that lights every man that comes into the world, lights us up, that that's what it shows. I think it lights something from deep within that is there that will be exposed when the light touches it. Light's not there to expose darkness. It's actually there to enable sight. So when light comes, it enables you to see, which, yeah, we might see some stuff that is not the best that we would like to see, but that's the start of a transformational process, even the willingness of the honesty to see what the light shows up. The dispelling of darkness is a natural byproduct of the presence of light, not the purpose of it. So if the weight of religion has said the purpose of light is to dispel darkness, light does not dispel darkness. It doesn't. Thank you, Georgia. She's right with me. The dispelling of darkness is just a natural byproduct of the presence of light. So whenever enlightenment comes, the darkness that pervades the deep corners of your mind and life disappear as a byproduct of the light. You won't get rid of the darkness. Stop trying to get rid of the darkness in your life. If you will become enlightened by the light, then the, the dark will be dispelled as a byproduct. So, coming back to Sid who was on the video in Toy Story, using the magnifying glass to do what? To use the light to burn a hole in Woody's head. Now there's a thought. If 
For some of us, Eunice and some of these guys remember this, we were raised with magnify the Lord with me. I'm not sure when we translated that into our interaction with the world, whether we weren't like Sid, using the light of Jesus and what that said about people's lives to burn a hole in their head. To where when we left, what they wanted to do was go stick their head in the bucket because we burned a hole in their head in the way that we had magnified the light because we didn't just let the light do its thing. Magnifying the light in the wrong way becomes an act of cruelty. So there is an element in religious practice across all religions that when the light is magnified in the wrong way, it becomes an act of cruelty. It will make you drive a plane into the Twin Towers. It will make you behead somebody. It will make you condemn somebody who you think has sinned more than you have sinned and refuse to give them love and kindness and grace. It will make churches put people out of the church because that's not acceptable. See, the light used in the wrong way becomes an act of cruelty. And the truth is the Pharisees in Jesus' day used the light of the revelation of God as an act of cruelty to condemn people and so they crucified the one who was life because it would become an act of cruelty all about judgments and laws and rules. Magnifying the light should become the means of communicating enlightenment not an act of cruelty. Anything and anything exposed to the light becomes illuminated itself and then when it's illuminated itself being enlightened it becomes a light itself Jesus said I am the light of the world and then lo and behold he said you are the light of the world now which is it I am the light of the world or you are the light of the world the tr- the answer is yes the answer is yes That when you are enlightened by the true light, the light within you becomes light that shines from you and then you don't stare in the mirror at the light of your life or Facebook, uh, you know, this is my light. You let that light illuminate around you and think about it. If Jesus was the light that lights every man who came into the world and we get enlightened with the truth about his presence and the sacredness of his preciousness and our preciousness in the world how light would the world become how light will your home become how light will your family or your work become true enlightenment is consciousness to be found and the whole issue of the good news is for that consciousness to be found there is a light but here's when you won't see it if you're squinty eyed If you're squinty-eyed, you won't see it. If you're trying to limit the whole thing and squinty-eyed because you want to keep your judgments and you want to keep your condemnation and you want to keep your, if you're a church person, your doctrine and whatever and your practices. If you do it squinty-eyed, then the transformation of that light can't come. I want you to do something. Live wide-eyed in wonder and belief. And your body will be filled with light. Let it extend beyond the old religious thing of if you just stare at the light. If you spend all your time worried and staring at God, that will blind you to the reality of the truth, of the wonder, of the creation and the life that flows in creation. But be enlightened by that. Let that light you so that then what you see will not be squinty-eyed. It will be wide-eyed with wonder and belief. 
I believe true enlightenment is, is consciousness to be found and I believe it's found in its fullness in the Christ. And I wish I had another three hours to talk to you about the Christ. And if you've not listened to our stuff online about the Christ, you should. Because it's where it's at, not just where we're at, it's where it's at. And I'd love you to read that. So my time's pretty much up here. So what's the litmus test for true enlightenment? How, how do I know if I'm squinty-eyed in a dank cellar or whether I'm wide-eyed with wonder and full of light? Here's the litmus test for true entitlement. The litmus test for true entitlement is love. Now here's the problem with that. Most of us think we probably qualify then. So let me give you, let me give you that broken down to a greater reality. The litmus test for true enlightenment is love without agenda. Now here's the issue. We all love somebody, something, some stuff. But loving without agenda is another matter. Loving to give rather than loving to get is enlightened love. God's love is enlightened love. Because God never loved you to get anything from you. He loved you to give something to you. And in loving you to give something to you, that's the greatest possibility of getting from you what it was that he would like to have. But he didn't begin by loving to get. He began by loving to give. Now there's far too much love in our world, in our lives, in the church, that is love with an agenda. Loving the lovely, loving the deserving but not quite sure about the rest. But the litmus test of enlightened love is love without agenda. And that's the Christ love. Love without agenda. And that's what flows out of us when we allow that to be the light that is in us. And I'll say one last thing. And that is for all and for all things. Enlightenment will let you enjoy your holidays, it'll let you enjoy your patio, it'll let you enjoy your hot tub if you've got one, or it'll let you enjoy your glass of wine when you go home and sit. Enlightenment will allow you to see the world in a different way because now you have received how you've seen in a different way. That's the light that comes. So my prayer for you tonight is that you don't live squinty-eyed. In the dank cellar, of a gender-filled love, but wide-eyed with wonder at the love that you can receive that is transformational. It comes in the Christ. So let me just pray for you right now. Just bow your heads just for one moment. Father, I just pray every person in here today will have an encounter with the kind of love that is truly the expression of your heart, and not just your heart, but your whole being and that comes to us through Christ, and that we saw that manifested in the flesh, in Jesus, but now it comes through us. And as we receive that, may we not only see that you're the light of the world, but may we realise that we are the light of the world. I wonder if, just for a few minutes, you just want to think... Those last few words, I am divine, I am sacred, 
I am light. Powerful. Amazing. We saw all the things that we're not. Not the things that define us. But I am divine. I am sacred. And I'm light. Can we do that? Because we're so defined by so many negatives. If we can actually get to a place where we recognize that oneness that we have, that incredible understanding of, of what the light has shone in our lives, it will make a complete difference. So guys, come on up. We're going to just sing a song to end with, but I want you to go away thinking, from this point onwards, I am not going to define myself by those things which are negatives, but I'm going to say I am sacred, I am divine, and I am light. I must admit that the other day I was in the car and I shouted out, yay, go, go, yay. <laughs> I was in the car the other day going up to Monk's Cross. Hang on a minute, I'll, shout, I'll talk to you later, you're all right. I was going up to Monk's Cross and I was really impressed in my spirit with that thing from Catherine of, of Genoa. And it was this, my deepest me is God. My deepest me is God. My deepest me is God. And I'm driving, I'm saying, my deepest me is God. My deepest me is God. Now, you might think I'm crazy and I'm happy to be identified as, as crazy. But something got me. My deepest me is God. That's enlightenment. I am sacred. I am divine. I am light. And if you can get that, oh, just let it get in your spirit. I promise you that the darkness and the stuff that you feel that's in you that you're struggling with, it's not that it will be pushed away, but it will, it will absorb the light and itself become light. And that's the key of freedom and enlightenment. So we're going to sing. We're going to go out with a bang. And uh, come on, get on your feet. We're going to sing. Yay, go for it. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. If you've been inspired by what you've heard today, then why not email us at info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. We love that you're listening to us and we'd love to hear from you too. Did you know you can also watch all of the talks from Q on our YouTube channel? Just go to youtube.com forward slash Q Church York. We look forward to having you with us again soon. Until then, enjoy the quest.